Hey everyone, this is Manny Faces, producer and host of the award-winning Newsbeat podcast, where we mix high-level social justice journalism with music and original lyrical contributions from brilliant independent hip-hop artists. Now, during the coronavirus pandemic, we haven't always been able to bring our artist friends into the mix. That hasn't stopped us from delivering potent and compelling full episodes and bonus content, including many focusing on the toll that COVID-19 is taking on the most vulnerable among us, including communities of color and the incarcerated. We've also covered voter suppression. We've broken down what defund the police really means. And we've confronted 400 years of state violence against black women and girls. Now, we're in the lab cooking up more incredible full episodes, including a collaboration with powerhouse social justice organization, Color of Change. But in the meantime, we've also begun a series of live stream video casts this week in social justice. These are broadcast live on our Facebook and YouTube pages Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern. And we'd love for you to tune in and participate. In addition to the videos living in perpetuity in those spaces, we'll also bring those episodes here as the topics, guests, and insights are well aligned with what you're used to hearing from us. So once again, live video, Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern to watch and participate in This Week in Social Justice. To make it super easy, set an alert on your phone and just visit usnewsbeat.com slash Facebook or usnewsbeat.com slash YouTube to be taken right to the page. Now, this is the recording of our November 13, 2020 episode. We broke down some recent news from the social justice landscape and talked to Dr. Craig McLean, who described a fascinating example of how 100 million year old geological and biological history directly affected Joe Biden's presidential victory. It's an incredible story. You got to hear it. And while he wasn't able to make his scheduled appearance in the actual episode, stay tuned right after for Marcus Farrell, who was able to join us for the after party, as it were. Now, Marcus is the former deputy campaign manager for Stacey Abrams and the former director of black outreach for Bernie Sanders. And he provided incredible insight as to just how Democrats were able to flip Georgia blue just moments after the state was called in favor of Biden. Now, we hope you enjoy this bonus content. Please email us with any comments, praise, or suggestions at newsbeat at moricreative.com or hit us on Twitter at US Newsbeat. Once again, this is Manny Faces, and on behalf of the Newsbeat and Maury Creative Studios teams, we thank you for listening. I am Brother Cornell West. This is Chris Hedges. I'm Rosa Clemente. Hey, what's up? This is Chuck D, Public Enemy Prophets of Rage. And this is Newsbeat. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Check one, two. It is indeed This Week in Social Justice, presented by the Newsbeat Podcast. It is I, your host and producer of Newsbeat, Manny Faces, joined, as always, by the inimitable managing editor and editor-in-chief, Rashed Mian and Christopher Tawarski, respectively. Gentlemen, good evening. Good evening. <laughs> good afternoon. I thought we fast forward a little bit. I know we talk about the future in this show, but hey, man. That. that's later in the show. That's later in the show. How y'all doing? Good, man. How's it going with you? Surviving. Getting by. Getting by. It's uh, nutty times. But we're here to, uh, to uh, commune with each other uh, in this new format that some of you watching may have known, recognized from our election night coverage. That was fantastic. Uh, did a great job of that. Uh, many, many people joined and commented, and we decided that weekly uh, we would now bring sort of a recap this week of social justice. Uh, Friday's live streaming as you're watching now. Uh, you may be also watching this on the replay. That's perfectly fine. But do join us uh, on the uh, on the live stream if you can. We will take your comments, display them on the screen, do all the cool stuff uh, to get you involved. Uh, we talk about that in a minute. 
And also, you might be listening to this on the podcast feed. We will take these episodes and drop them to the podcast feed. Do want to remind you, of course, that we are not a live stream uh, bunch by, uh, you know, by default. We're actually a podcast that's now doing a live stream instead of a live streamer that also does a podcast. So you do want to check out uh, the Newsbeat podcast, award-winning melding of social justice journalism, very high-level real news uh, mixed with uh, uh, a uh, unique a, new, a unique, unique mixture of music and very often original lyrical contributions from hip hop artists. We like to say it's if, as if uh, Democracy Now! and Black Thought had a podcast, baby. That's the Newsbeat podcast. That's the rundown, folks, who are just tuning in and are like, what the hell is this? And who are these guys? <laughs> Uh, so uh, we have some great segments for the show, and we actually have a couple of guests. Uh, let's t- let you know right now how serious and real deal uh, Holyfield we are uh, about our upcoming guests. Can you speak, uh, Rashad, quickly about our first guest, uh, who people can anticipate seeing from uh, uh, very shortly? Yeah, definitely. So the first one up is Marcus Farrell. So he was the former camp- <laughs> deputy campaign manager to Stacey Abrams. Stacey Abrams' uh, 2016. Uh, well, now 2018 gubernatorial campaign. And uh, Marcus is going to be on just to talk about Georgia and the his- the significance of that state turning blue in this presidential election. Wow. Big deal right there. Chris, then we'll later in the show, we'll be hearing from. Yes, yeah, so we're, uh, we're going to hear from Dr. Craig McLean, who's the executive director of the Louisiana University's Marine Consortium. And it's just, you know, it's just a fascinating tale he has to share. Um, He's also a deep sea diver and evolutionary ecologist, a marine biologist, and he wrote a piece back in 2012 that sort of looked at, I mean, you know, the ancient coastline of North America and how it sort of uh, intersects with the rise of uh, slavery in the South, um, the working of the the cotton fields, and today uh, still permeates in this really uh, strange sort of crescent shaped uh, democratic voting block. That that's an, it's such an incredible story to find out how like ancient geology is playing a role in today's election. It's fascinating. I dare say. We'll definitely be uh, tuned in for that. We hope that both of you join us a quick update. We will always, as we're live, we will always keep you updated uh, in case anything happens during the show. And uh, apparently, in a final bid for victory, uh, Donald Trump has changed his name to Joe Biden. <laughs> so we're going to see. We're going to see if that works. Uh, I guess that's I, the proverbial kitchen sink approach. I, I suspect it may. I suspect it may not work. Uh, but we shall see. Uh, so those are things you can look forward to in this about hour-long show. Uh, give or take. Once again, comments are welcome in the uh, – oh, let's do that real quick, and then we'll get into the Newsbeat Bites. Uh, comments are welcome. Please, if you're tuned in, uh, let us know you see us, hear us, smell us, feel us, and that you appreciate what we're doing. Or don't. Tell us if you if you hate us uh, or what we can do to do this better. We're just starting this. We don't want that. I don't know why you're suggesting they even do that. So You know, fair and balanced. Uh, let's get the editors to cut that from the next. I would ask that if you can also, uh, in the comments section, feel free – to answer our question of the day, speaking of the aforementioned uh, final <laughs> bid for victory, uh, are you worried about this whole presidential transition thing or nah? Just would like to know generally, you know, why you think that. Please leave your uh, answer in the comment section. We will revisit this question and display some of your answers 
a little bit later in the show. That is like what we like to call. So moving on, some social, thank you. Social justice uh, is the name of the show. It's in the name of the show. Uh, and of course, we like to give you some bites, a little bit of information from the world of social justice that maybe get drowned out because of all the you know, hoopla around the presidential election uh, or the, uh, the obviously much needed uh, attention to the COVID crisis. So these are our news beat bites of the week. Rashad, you're up first. Yeah. So you mentioned the COVID crisis. Um, I, you know, I think uh, for a lot of people, because of the election, it's sort of gone over our heads, but we're obviously seeing a significant surge in this country. It's ravaging mostly every part of the nation, even New York, which has put a handle on the crisis uh, since the, the early stages in March is now seeing an increase. There's 3% in some, in some regions. So, but I do want to talk about another area that's significantly underreported and that's what's happening inside jails and prisons. And it's something that we reported on, I think in early March, and we had a public health official who warned of the crisis in jails and prisons. And just on November 10th, the Marshall Project uh, reported that there's been a hundred, there's been 182,000 cases of COVID-19 inside jails and prisons since the pandemic started, which is an astronomical number. To put that into context, when we did an episode on uh the infections inside these institutions back in late August, that number was a hundred thousand. So just in wow. less than three months, it's jumped, it's jumped from a hundred thousand cases to 182,000. And just even worse, there's been a spike from late August. There's 900 deaths inside these institutions. And now it's over 1400. And those are the numbers that we know of. The data is often incomplete because right. of a lack of transparency in many jails and prisons. Some of them are private prisons. So you don't get a full uh, analysis of what's happening inside. But I do want to bring that to everybody's attention just because the surge is, uh, is devastating. And the infection rates inside these jails and prisons throughout the country, mm -hmm. you can go state by state, the, the infection rate is often hundreds times higher than the general population. And I think we need to put a lot more focus on what's happening in these places. I want to remind people that, again, we are a podcast that covers these issues. We've been doing it for several years. So when you hear today or, you know, maybe, you know, uh, dribs and drabs of the, the news getting out about the uh, COVID infections in jail and prisons, which isn't really talked about that much, uh, you might find it in some, you know, progressive outlets. We've been covering this and we do this with some 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 skill. Uh, you know, we've had uh, entire episodes about it. Uh, you could find those episodes, also a couple of special bonus uh, episodes about this issue specifically, again, with Dr. Homer Venters and other real uh, experts in the field. And we also have on our site, that's on our podcast feed. So please follow, uh, find Newsbeat wherever you find podcasts. We also have an, an entire COVID-19 section on our on our website, which actually all of the episodes that we've done that have touched on COVID-19, including how racism fuels higher coronavirus death rates. Uh, again, very early on this, we were talking about this in March, expert warns of perilous coronavirus threat in jails and prisons. Uh, and so we were on it. We continue to be on it. And we welcome you all to check it out to find out more about these issues as they become more and more prevalent. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. And Manny, can I just add one more thing? Please uh, do. You, met, you mentioned the death sentence episode. I do want to note that an important part of that episode was to talk about how officials, both inside the jails and prisons and police departments, had in the early stages of the pandemic tried to lessen the blow. They were releasing people. They they weren't arresting or or charging as many people as they once would. So to make sure that there was less people inside jails and prisons, but 
once the summer started and, and people's minds started to sort of move away from the virus, uh, we saw, um, especially doing great reporting from the prison policy initiative showed that uh, those policies have basically reversed and more people were entering um, these correctional facilities. Yeah. A, um, a stunning story within a story. Yeah. You know what I mean? So thank you for that tidbit. Again, news bites that are tied into some of the work we do. Uh, the Marshall Project, once again, has a great look at this uh, currently, and they, they continuously, uh, again, we get you on the podcast tip. I would recommend the Marshall Project for those who are interested in finding out more about this particular topic. Uh, they yeah. do a great job. Uh, my turn. Uh, so, uh, and forgive me because I'm managing this all at the same time. Uh, I found mine late. It was today. Uh, this is an article in The Atlantic uh, that uh, corresponds to an art exhibit. Uh, the story is by Alyssa Richardson. Um, she interviewed Amber Ford, uh, who has put together a really uh, stunning art exhibit. Uh, I'll read from the actual exhibit page, which you can find at ambernford.com. It's called Mistaken Identity. In Mistaken Identity, Amber Ford focuses on the everyday items that have led to the deaths of people of color at the hands of law enforcement officers. Much like how the absence of the orange safety tip on Tamir Rice's toy gun became part of the Cleveland police officer Timothy Lowman's justification for shooting within two seconds arriving on the scene, here we are reminded that sets of keys, wallets, and mobile phones have all been mistaken for weapons across the United States. It's a, it's a somber, uh, you know, heart-wrenching art piece, but because we're so much about art and social justice coming together, I thought it was really uh, powerful. The article in The Atlantic goes over the whole vibe. Um, and again, that is a uh, an art exhibit that uh, Amber Ford has set up, ambernford.com. I don't know if it's... I, I literally just found this before showtime. I mean, it's, it's stunning. Incredible. And what it is, and what it is, is it does the thing that we often... Uh, don't do enough of or see enough of and that's sort of there's humans attached to these numbers yeah uh you know so anyway uh my news bite of the day as it were chris yeah and and as you mentioned i mean the art installations like that uh you know just critical reminders of you know some of the the pain and the atrocities uh in this ongoing struggle for equality and my my bite sort of ties into that on that note uh, the former Chicago home of Emmett Till and his mother, Mammy, um, passed a key step this week on its quest to becoming a well-deserved uh, historic preservation site. Um, that was one. Second, it was also purchased by the head of a nonprofit in Chicago called Blacks in Green, which is dedicated to the design and development of green sustainable mixed income uh, villages and communities owned and populated by African-Americans. Um, yeah, the, the, the commission voted uh, unanimously uh, for landmark status. It's now going to move to the full city council in the near future. And what it does is it saves the, it saves this building from destruction mm. over the years. It, it fell into horrible disarray and, and there's, there's tons and tons of uh, code violations on it currently. But the nonprofit, the goal is to transform it into an international heritage pilgrimage site, one that will, uh, quote, lift up the story of the Great Migration as told through the lens of Till uh, and his family. And, uh, you know, obviously Emmett Till, um, you, know, you mentioned Tamir Rice, I think he was 12 uh, when he was killed. Um, 
Emmett Till was 14 years old on August 28th, 1955, when he went down to Mississippi to visit relatives, was kidnapped, you know, brutally tortured, mutilated, murdered, lynched. Um, and his mother, Mammy, um, took the, you know, the, the incredibly uh, unimaginable uh, decision, but to, to have an open casket funeral right. uh, for him, uh, which galvanized the civil rights movement. It, it shed light. There was over 100,000 uh, viewers of his body. And it, you know, it sparked, you know, you might even be able to say, you know, a couple months later was the Montgomery bus boycott where, uh, you know, Rosa Parks cited Till's, Till's death right. in her motivation to not give up that seat. And, uh, you know, Till, I was, you know, this is, this is, it was allegedly because he whistled at a white woman. Alleda, uh, which is a story which obviously, as you know, was recanted over time. Right. In 2008, uh, an author interviewed uh, Carolyn Bryant, who was the accuser, and, 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 and she recanted. So Got it. Well, good news uh, for that uh, historical uh, landmark. And uh, there rounds up some... Beat bites, some stuff you might not have heard of, uh, because every other news outlet is uh, feverishly covering the fact um, that uh, in a final bid for victory, <laughs> Donald Trump has changed his name to Joe Biden. Now, how how do all the fraudulent lawsuits uh, fit into that? <laughs> that is fake news, by the way. Just letting you know. <laughs> yeah, I know you got to rewrite all the lawsuits. You never know, name. man. You, you never do. What is it? Over twelve? Over thirteen? I'm losing track. <sighs> yeah, it was. Yeah, it was something like that. Uh, don't forget, folks, uh, shouts to Sage Levine, shouts to Rhythm and Food, my man, Sean, uh, my man, my mellow, uh, Rhythm and Food, great uh, uh, great business catering out of uh, Newark, New Jersey, where I uh, lovingly reside. Uh, please leave your comments in the, uh, in the, um, your answer in the comment section. This is the question of the day. Are you worried about this presidential transition or not? Please answer in the comments. We will happily share your uh your comments and, and engage with you. We want this to be interactive. Uh, don't forget, upcoming guests will uh, be with us soon. Uh, I'm not that worried about the transition, presidential transition. I don't know why, but I just I feel like you know, it, it's 2020, bro. Like if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. I don't think anything. I think it's gonna be fine. I don't know. I think it's something that um, we've talked about privately among us. It's just, um, I get, you know, I, I think there is a lot of anxiety, right? There's people who are, you don't know what could happen. This has been a surprising year to say yeah. the least. So who knows? Um, but, you know, uh, I think that I think some people should look at the articles talking about the donations related to uh, this bid to try to uh, overturn the election via the courts and see what potentially maybe there's a different story to this than just trying to uh, legally adjust the vote count. Right. It's stretching it out and collecting some dough. In other words, if you I get the I get the Trump emails, by the way, uh, all the hey, you got to help us, you, you know, uh, we need to uh, we need to raise this money to fight the court battles. And, and I'm like, first of all, you didn't have you didn't have money. You, you didn't squirrel away a little extra for the possibility of it. Like, why are you still asking people for five dollars on a grand scale? And it's weird because apparently some of the money that they're getting isn't going to anything to fight this good fight. It's to no. pay back debt. Yeah. Well, the, the small dollar donations are also going to a new pack. 
Uh, right. That was uh, created by that. Uh, so it's a, so uh, it's a new pass. So, so so even the people yeah, who are yeah. supporting uh, the campaign or the president, current president, uh, they're not actually getting their money going to where their money is supposed to be going. So yeah, the grift continues, and I I feel I, I don't feel bad. I, I kind of do feel bad. I mean, it's the year of the grift. You gotta you gotta I see think, these things coming. I think people are getting taken advantage of, and. Yeah. Um, all their hard word, five, hard work, five dollar donations are going to something other than court battles. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, the, obviously the the ultimate uh, come to Jesus moment being the inauguration, right? Because that, <laughs> that's the moment where either somebody has to leave or be taken out, right? I mean, you know, be escorted out. Right. I mean, so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, who knows what's going to happen? I mean, you know, I think he'll be I think he'll be cop and please before then. I think he's going to say, listen, I lost, but I didn't lose fairly. And, you know, the system is rigged against me. Deep state uh, can't get out of it. Uh, We'll be back in 2024. Come and coming out. How many coming at coming at you? Uh, and we'll see what uh, yeah. Phil in the comment section has an interesting take. He's worried yep. about the uh, long term effects on democracy. Right. Okay. Already, That's valid. Yeah. You've already seen polls that show a majority of Republicans. I know. I guess they're you never know what polls these days. Um, but there <laughs> are there are some polls that show that the majority um, think that the election was in some ways fraudulent or not fair. They, you know, there was specific wording they used um, in the poll. So, you know, are people going to trust elections going forward? You know, but, you know, there's been a lot of pushback. I think you had a consortium of federal, state and local um, organizations that um, pay attention to the election system and came out and said this was the most uh, transparent and um, flawless election in modern history. Right. Yeah. I mean, you also have you know, you have you also you know, you also have the secretary of state in public uh, remarks stating we're looking forward to a smooth transition to the second Trump administration. I mean, what does that do, you know, to. Yeah, there was that worldwide view, you know. Yeah. I, and I, I know that we're waiting on to see if Marcus is going to sign on. I don't know if he's had technical trouble. No. Yeah, we're going to do that. Uh, let's get one more comment in. Uh, we are waiting for Marcus. We also have uh, Dr. Craig McLean join us very shortly. As we said, very uh, exciting guests, uh, not just us bantering, uh, but shouts to Lisa also on the check in with the question of the day. And please continue to leave your comments. We will recircle back around and get you on uh, the show uh, if you have left a comment. Uh, so here's Lisa saying she's almost fully disassociated as a coping mechanism. Uh, so maybe not as anxious as she should be. Uh, yeah, but the fundraising sense. reminds her of Jill Stein's con in 2016 when she raised money to fund a recount, but pocketed the funds instead. Wow. The wow. Gift. Saucy. <laughs> hey, listen, man, there's a lot of funny things happening in politics uh, one yeah. way or the other. So, uh, again, I'm not going to tell you how to think, things. but please do continue to leave your comments uh, on this uh you know, it's an important subject and a lot of people are thinking about it. And some people are certainly inside baseball engaged uh, like how we are uh, and some uh, may not be. So we're going to help you uh, decipher some of it. Uh, all right. So. Where are we, gentlemen? Yeah, I think we're I think we're um, waiting for Marcus. Uh, I think he's having some technical difficulties. Oh, okay. But uh, as we wait, I do want to bring up since we're talking about the presidential race, um, the significance of Georgia. I mean, we could talk that talk about that among ourselves a little bit. And it's you know it was just huge to watch. I think we were doing our we were doing our five hour long election special, and mm-hmm. I was here watching that New York Times ticker going back and forth. And at one point they had Georgia leading Trump, and then it shifted toward Biden later in the night. And I and then it just sort of paused. 
And then eventually we learned that, you know, all these absentee ballots from some of these areas in Atlanta and the suburbs of Atlanta right. were coming in, you know, the, disproportionately for for the Democrats and for Biden. And it's later shown that, you know, the black American vote is sort of the key to what triggered uh, Biden becoming the first Democrat since Bill Clinton in 90, 1992 to win that state, which is an enormous accomplishment. It didn't matter at the end of the day in terms of the electoral college, but I think it does have a symbolic importance. Um, and I, I don't think that we can overlook the work of Stacey Abrams and, and on the ground organizations that have been working for years to try to, um, you know, combat voter suppression and voter purging that we've seen in that state right. and also turn out the vote in a dramatic way like they did in uh, this year. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's, that's part of what we're going to get um, to, to the core of uh, with, with our guest, uh, Dr. McLean, um, you know, election cycle after election cycle, we see this crescent shaped sort of, uh, you know, region of the South um, that is continuously blue, um, cutting, and it bleeds into Georgia. It spans from Mississippi all the way into Georgia, uh, cutting through uh, this blood red, uh, historically blood red South. And, you know, with every, every vote counting in a razor thin election like this in Georgia, you know, it's, it's, uh, it has direct uh, influence on the, the fate of the presidential race. I mean, and these runoffs. Especially and, this year. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, what What our guest uh, uh, did was, uh, you know, being a marine biologist, he, in 2012, he wrote a piece um, basically noticing this effect um, uh, and and tying it in with his with his expertise of of uh, really what spans millennia, uh, how the presidential elections are impacted by a hundred mural million year old coastline. Mm -hmm. And I have to just uh, give a sh quick shout out to our colleague Phil Stott, who first uh, turned me on to this uh, really on Monday, the day before the election. Uh, Radio Labs co-host uh, Latif Nisser um, had a had a viral thread about this. Uh, looking back and it's just absolutely fascinating and it all ties into uh the precursor continent if you could believe that uh, <laughs> of north america the the east coast didn't exist florida didn't exist it was all underwater and the trillions of punch i'll you know the, the uh, Dr. McLean will explain it better than i can but <laughs> basically in a nutshell you know trillions upon trillions of these ancient sea creatures lived and died in these waters and over millennia it formed some of the most fertile soil on the planet, which gave rise to the, uh, the cotton, cotton fields of the South mm. and the slave labor there and persists to this day. And what, what the doctor did was he, he, he went back uh, in time, if you will, to, to the Mesozoic, the end of the Mesozoic era and, and overlaid that map with what we're seeing election cycle after election cycle. And it actually follows the track, this ancient coastline, because the descendants of a lot of those enslaved peoples uh, remain there and they vote democratic. Nutty. And That's so crazy. in essence, you know, this, this, uh, this presidential bid was influenced millennia back um, by Crazy. these, it's just, you know, it's this rare convergence, I would, I would imagine of, 
of anthropology and marine yes. biology and political science, and which actually is helping determine the fate of the country now. Right. So. That's great. Like I said, we like to say that the, the podcast is a mix of, you know, <laughs> of, of, of social justice journalism and music. And now we're talking about like sociology and uh, uh, and geology and all these sciences coming together in a way that most people would not uh, expect, I think. So with that said, Dr. McLean is going to join us. And we'll hear more about this uh, fascinating topic. Let's bring him in. Doctor, thanks so much for being for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. How are you doing today, gentlemen? Great. 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 We really uh, appreciate you taking the time out. No yeah. worries. My pleasure. Yeah. So, so as you might have just heard, um, I was only uh, turned on to this a couple of days ago, and I just found it so fascinating. And, you know, in that, in that thread – uh, from Radiolab that went viral, your piece was one of the core sources of that. And so firstly, um, you know, how did you recognize this? What made you, what inspired you to even think this? <laughs> and secondly, if you could just walk viewers a little bit through, through your findings. So, uh, right. So back in, I would say 2012, bef- um, I had a colleague who's a, so I'm a marine biologist, but I have a colleague who's a paleobiologist. And he was the one who sort of he had went to a conference that had heard somebody talk about this and highlight this as a potential pattern. And um, he sort of turned me on to it as a really fascinating story. And then from there, I kind of dug down into actually looking at the maps and trying to build out the narrative of this. And so, um, yeah, it sort of ties so much of what happens now sociologically, uh, economically, you know, politically is shaped by the environment, shaped by geology, things that occurred millions and millions of years ago. And this is one of those types of stories. And so, I mean, I like to think of, let's take a step back and perhaps start off with a couple of different counties. So let's start off with please Hill County in Alabama and Bamberg County in South Carolina. Now these two counties are about 450 miles apart. Uh, they both have populations around 16,000 or so. Um, and they are both about 60% African-American. Um, you know, they are poor Southern counties. Um, they have medium, the state, uh, the median, they're well below the state's median incomes. Um, um, unfortunately, they're both named after Confederate officers, um, not an unusual precedent in the South. But, um, and uh the interesting thing about them, though, is that in almost every presidential election since the 70s, both of those counties have voted Democrat. Uh, they're well over 50 percent Democrat every single election, including the last one. I was just checking this morning in preparation for this to make sure that that also hold. And so the question is, is why do these two counties in the south in a traditionally Republican leaning regions? Um, why would these two counties be unique in a whole string of counties for the South that uh, along a belt um, that why would these vote Democrat? Well, so it sort of goes back to a hundred million year old coastline um, that used to exist. So if you go back to the Cretaceous period, um, starting around 130 million, 139 million years ago, up to about 65 million years ago, most of the deep, most of the Southern part of the U S was covered by uh, shallow seas. Now, this is also a warm phase of our climate. And so this is extremely warm oceans as well. And so these warm tropical waters, they give rise to 
a variety of tiny marine plankton with that have these carbonate skeletons. And over time, those accumulate in these massive chalk formations around that, at that point, these coasts. And that chalk uh, was alkaline, it was porous, which eventually led to sort of these well-drained and fertile soils um, along this belt um, in a band that sort of mirrors this ancient coastline. And um, that became a, an arc of sort of rich and dark soils um, throughout the South, and in, um, in particularly in Alabama, which because of those dark, rich soils, that band became known as the Black Belt for the soils originally. Um, and in fact, um, Booker T. Washington in his 1901 autobiography even mentioned the, uh, the, the concept that this was sort of termed, uh, that that was designated as the Black Belt. Now, because the soils in these areas were so productive, then they were productive regions and a productive belt for cotton. Um, and in a time when cotton production was heavy throughout the South, um, these regions, you know, would have orders of magnitude more cotton production. And so because of that high cotton production, uh, that's where most of the larger Southern uh, slavery plantations were. And of course, the higher uh proportions of of slaves to sort of uh, accommodate that increased cotton production. And so, and then of course, over time, as time goes on and, um, and things have played out, of course, um, we, the African-Americans largely as descendants of those slaves have largely stayed in those regions. And so those counties continue to have a very high African-American population uh, compared to the South. And you see, and so of course, as African-Americans typically uh, lean Democrat um, in their voting patterns, they those counties continue to represent a, bland, a band of Democratic voting throughout the South. Interestingly, if you, uh, I don't know if you can bring back up the map of county voting patterns that you showed a little while ago, um, right there, if you also notice along the Mississippi, right, so this is also an area of heavy agricultural production, um, again, not tied to that ancient coastline, but there's, those are areas also of increased, traditionally increased cotton production, uh, increased plantations and increased African American populations. And so by another sort of environmental process there, they're just being the rich fertile soils along the Mississippi River, you get a, a some somewhat of a similar pattern. Wow. It's absolutely fascinating. And, and testament to that is just how many times that thread uh, was retweeted and, and, and quoted from uh, the day before the election. And um, you can see this in a variety and you can see this in a variety of other maps as well. So if you look at like median household incomes through the South, um, you know, anything that plays on the that relates to the demographics of African-Americans and their and their relative representations in counties in the South. um those, those, um, that line will mirror that ancient coastline. And now it's, it's, it's essentially, um, it's essentially the, the remains, the fossil, what is the fossilized, what's the correct term? The fossilized remains of these, of these plankton, these ancient plankton, which, which enabled that part of the country to be so fertile. Is that, is that right? Right. And the key, and keep in mind that that coastline was where the shallowest seas were. And so you allowed, allowed the accumulation of those marine phytoplankton and their skeletons to sort of build up over time. 
And as those build up over millions million, millions of years, and of course, as the South eventually became drier then um, and land as opposed to shallow oceans, then you have the develop you have the development of these sort of really well drained and rich soils. It's just fascinating. I mean, in your opinion, so we talked about the cotton, you know, the plantations all around that area that that sprung up because of that fertile soil. Is it? I mean, how would you even? Is it possible to to state that without that chalk, without those, without that rich soil, without those without those ancient um, fossil deposits, that the cotton would not have been the major ca- cash crop it was in the South? I mean, is there- Well, I mean, it's still, keep in mind that cotton production throughout the South is, is heavy. And I don't want to seem to suggest that this is the only band in which cotton production occurs. Right. But, um, you know, it is that the, the, the sort of size of the cotton crop in those counties was historically much, much higher. And so the density and the size of the plantations and the slave labor that was needed to keep up those that density and size of those plantations led to um, led to this sort of current pattern. Fascinating. And but as, by as, no means are uh, plantations in the South um, or, you know, or slavery limited to just that single band. Oh, um, sure. Sure. Right. Sure. As a, as a marine biologist, someone who's dedicated their, their life to the study of the sea and the organisms there and the ecosystems, um, what went through your mind when you were, recognizing this when you actually well, it's just a it's just a really compelling story right um uh, you know it's one of those there are certain stories that you narratives you hear in your life that sort of really stick with you it has the stickiness to it and you know it's one that continually I, i'm not surprised when i see it sort of come back go re viral on the internet again um and so um the fact that so many people seem attracted to that story um and i think you know we as humans especially in the chaotic times in which we're living, we find ourselves now like we, there's some comfort in pattern and explanation um, to make sense of the world around us. And so it's easy to, you know, this is one of those stories that provides that. And I think, you know, for me, what I think one of the compelling stories, and I've been as someone who grew up, I grew up in Arkansas. So, you know, I'm a Southern boy. Um, I have a deep love of, Southern culture and um, the better parts of it and um, and concerned about our troublesome history. Um, but I love stories in which I get to blend my love of of some parts of this of the South with the science behind those. And so in this case, voting patterns and our cultural diversity in the South, as well as, you know, you know, I've uh, I have a blog called Science of the South um, that I do some intermittent writing for and. Sometimes that's even digging down on the chemistry of what makes a good biscuit versus doesn't. And so anyway, I can sort of blend two of my loves together. And so I think for me on a personal level, this kind of takes two of my interest and puts them in the same story. That's that's incredible. It's incredible. And and when I was looking at you know, some of the maps that Manny was showing, there's there's other maps as well. And when you go back, you know, you think of the Civil War. Um, you know, you think obviously, as you mentioned, as planta- uh, of the plantations and the, and the slavery of the South, and you know, after the Civil War, um, and we're going to discuss actually a little bit about Jim Crow a little bit later. Uh, there's the anniversary of a gruesome uh, massacre just this past week that happened down here that sort of kickstarted the Jim Crow laws uh, that prevented African Americans from voting, even though they were you know deemed free. Um, you know, but when you look at the maps, 
there is no, you know, that, that band does not exist until after 65, I think, is when it first. That's right. So, yeah, if you look at the 1964 election map, that band does not occur, right? Because that's one year before the Voting Rights Act. Mm-hmm. And so, and in fact, it takes a few elections after the Voting Rights Act, even in 65, for this pattern to begin to emerge. God, I mean, it's just. Yeah, there you go. So there's 72 and you don't see much, see much of it there at all. It's just. I think what's important, what I find interesting is the fact that, you know, this, this, the, the, you know, we tend to. We have the tendency, I think, and again, this is perhaps not science related, more social science related. Um, yeah, there's 2012, so where it's really prominent. And in fact, it becomes more prominent, obviously, when Democratic, when the election is take. There's a strong Republican presence, right? That that, that shapes the dichotomy uh, uh, in the South. But the fact that you know, we we have the tendency. There's a tendency to sort of think of the as slavery of something as something that happened much long ago. And the fact that we still continue to see in a very real way. Um, I mean, obviously it's manifested. It continues to manifest itself in the culture and the, in our society in multitudes of ways, but to see it on a map like this continue to play out this legacy of our history, I think um, is both interesting and troublesome. hundred percent. And, and, you know, as you explained to that, that dual sort of meaning of the term black belt, you know, right. First being used to describe the color of the soil. And then, you know, obviously uh, now being used to describe the high concentration of African-Americans that live within that sort of sector there. Um, and I just want to quote uh, Latif uh, Nasser from Radiolab in, in that thread that went viral. I thought it was uh, I thought it, I thought it encompassed this whole thing very well. And it was sort of poetic. But he, he wrote the death of plankton led to the life of cotton which led to the bondage of enslaved people who harvested it, which led to the freedom of the voters who descended from them. And then he wrote, death leads to life, leads to bondage, leads to freedom. I mean, it's just, it's, it's incredible on so many, on so many different levels. Yeah. And I really enjoyed that thread. It's always, um, I love when, you know, I mean, obviously the original, the way that he heard of what it was from Robert Korowich who had posted my, original story on his blog, but I love to, I love to hear this story take, come live through new voices. Um, and so his, pers- his stream on Twitter was a really nice retelling and, and perhaps um, a lot more articulate telling of the original story. It's just been fantastic. And, and we just want to, we just want to thank you so much for joining us and, and taking the time out to explain that. Um, and, you know, what I would like to tell uh, everyone is to please, please check out Dr. McLean's incredible work on his website, craigmclean.com, and his Twitter account at Dr. Craig MC. And you can reach out to him at uh, crmclean at lumcon.edu. Um, and uh, doctor, if there's anything, if there's anything else you'd like to to tell the guests, or um, you know, perhaps about your consortium and and some of the work that you guys are doing out there, please. Please feel free. Sure. Uh, so I'm the director of a marine lab in southern Louisiana, and we work on a lot of coastal issues, uh, fisheries, things along that line. A lot of our work is um, southern Louisiana is a hot spot for coastal loss and climate change and sea level rise. And so 
I'm privileged to leave a, lead a really great team of scientists here who sort of are tackling some of these larger questions and trying to figure out how to both prepare our institution, but prepare our society for these future changes and help to mitigate them. And so if you're interested in learning more about our research and the kinds of things that we're doing here, just go to uh, lumcon.edu. Great. Doctor, thanks again. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for the honor. Yeah, I appreciate it. Take care. Well, well, well. I mean, just absolutely. I mean, <laughs> what you know, a fascinating story. The more you think about it, it it's just. That's you know, a fa- it, that's ties a- in, it ties in. It intersects so many different sciences and, and realms of thought. And, and I will uh, I will say this. But it was very uh, informative and, and th- it's amazing how how like geology, uh, you know, biology from literally millions of years ago could possibly affect sociology and, the, you know, are down to the counties that vote Democratic that may have turned a state blue. Uh, I do. It, it, it's a great story. Again. We'll have the the link in the you know what I'll put the link in the comments here just in case anybody wants to yeah. check it out. Um, but you can search for it. Just kind of search for that headline. Uh, it's a it's it, you're not going to get any other stories with that headline. So yeah. and, and, <laughs> and shouts out and shouts out again to uh, Radiolab. I mean, obviously we're all yeah, big fans and and uh, as the doctor said, I mean, you know, taking a story and then sort of giving it resurrecting it, giving it new life. Um, yep. Obviously. Uh, you know, uh, very, very uh, consequential uh, yeah. ramifications just even last week. So it's just 100%. it's crazy. Incredible. Good story. Great, great find, Chris. And thank you for that, uh, Dr. McLean. Don't forget our listeners, our wonderful people watching and listening on the live stream. Uh, you can catch us on the replay if you might be doing so. But if you're live, you get the special bonus of able to throw your two cents into the mix and answer the question. We've, we've had a couple of comments so far. People not generally worried about this, but are you worried about this tres- presidential transition that's been thrown into flux? Uh, I just got an alert that the Arizona lawsuit has been dropped. Lawyers for the president's campaign dropped the lawsuit uh, in, in Arizona. So one less, you know, thing, I guess, mucking up the works. Uh, we had a comment earlier from uh, Mr. Jed Morey who suggested he is not worried they'll build a shadow government on the side, take over January 21st, wash through executive orders to undo literally anything Trump did in the past four years. Then the Democrats will eat their own, push out all progressive reform, and hand back keys in four years. I mean, just a repetitive cycle, I guess. He's he's probably right, (laughs) Joe. Shouts to Jed Moy. And matter of fact, while we're here, shouts to Jed Moy. Shouts to, that was from earlier. I don't know if he's tuned in and turned up with us now. Uh, but shouts to uh, the entire family at Mori Creative Studios. They are our parent uh, family. I don't want to say parent company, but our parent family. And, uh, of course, Mori Creative Studios specializes in digital marketing. Uh, they're a diamond-level solutions partner with HubSpot, which is a fantastic ecosystem for building businesses, uh, building marketing uh, for your business. Uh, so if you're a you know, medium, large-scale kind of business and you're looking for ways to uh, expand your footprint, expand your reach, expand your growth, and, uh, as you can see there, do it with a bit of good uh, the mantra for Maori Creative Studios is to grow for good. So not just grow, but to do good in the world along the way. Hence why we're connected 
and and birthed from their loins. Uh, you can check out the Grow for Good podcast as a fine, fine example of exactly what we're talking about, where the aforementioned Mr. Jed Mori uh, speaks with other CEOs and big wigs to uh, talk about how companies like uh, you know like Bombas and uh, uh, well some of the other companies. Audio Eye is Audio Eye is a great one. Uh, other companies that are doing uh, good while growing so you can grow you could do well and do good uh so yeah so shout out to more creative studios you can find them at morecreative.com and you can find the very exceptional grow for good podcast wherever you find delicious podcasts like newsbeat now uh one of the things that came up today which i was personally kind of fascinated with um and do continue folks to uh answer the question of the day as I flip through all the possible screen variations that I can, <laughs> I can do here. Uh, one of the interesting things was, of course, the story. And, 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 oh, we were going to hear from uh, Marcus Farrell, right? So uh, don't forget that we do have another guest that's lined up. There's been some scheduling snafus. Uh, uh, this gentleman has worked with uh, Stacey Abrams in Georgia to help uh, make big things happen down there. Uh, the, the, the Really the, the state of our focus of our sort of entire episode. Um, but so just stay tuned. Let's see what's happening. And um, yes, Sage reminds me more creative.com slash GFG for the uh, Grow for Good podcast. Another easy way to get there. Uh, one of the things that fascinated me, of course, uh, with this whole uh, topic today uh, has been the confluence or the you know coming together of uh, environment and social justice. Right. So we talked about this again. Newsbeat is a podcast. Y'all, we don't just look pretty on uh, on Facebook. Um and is and uh, and YouTube, although we do that as well, uh, but we are a full fledged uh, podcast, and we've been covering these issues for a very very long time. One of the episodes that we have covered that delves into the connection of uh, environment and racism and uh, social justice are these. Um, is this rather redlining and climate change a deadly combination? Uh, where we touched upon the. Set it up, Rashad, and then I'll throw on the uh, clip so that people let uh, let people know what the hell we're talking about. Yeah, sure. It was a really interesting story. It, it came out of a, a study that was done out of I want to say Portland State University, among other um, among other institutions, where they basically found that the formerly redlined areas in this country, dating back to the 1930s, were those that were experiencing the most harmful effects of climate change, especially extreme heat, which actually kills more people than any other climate event annually. But no, you don't really hear about it. You know, when a hurricane rolls through a tornado, you see the death toll, but you don't see the death toll traditionally from you know the summer excessive summer heat and so this basically they basically found a connection between uh, a racist housing policy mm -hmm. and the devastating effects of climate change it's an incredible uh again not the kind of thing that you would look into i do want to say that we looked into it uh several months before uh it, it made a little bit of noise uh some there's some rags some small publication uh new york I times I, yeah, I think i could find it somewhere i don't know New York Times touched upon this several months after we did. I, think, I just we think they might be bugging. Or I think we think there's a mole. Uh, yeah, we think there's a uh, mole. Yeah, I, just want, I just want to mention on that. You know, uh, also, you know, in line with the episode, you know, they they talked about this um, this concept of heat islands. You know, and it, <clears> right? That, that the, these racist housing policies that delineated where projects would go. For example, uh, devoid of trees. You know, just these 
these sort of concrete mausoleums that we had the mm. scientists tell us literally cook the residents inside. Yeah. And, and, you know, even at night in the summer when uh, the rest, you know, other neighborhoods might cool, oh, it's, it's nighttime now, the sun's not, not out and everything's cooling, it, it actually, the temperature actually still incrementally increases. Right. Um, yeah. Even at night. Um, right. So it's just so you know, it's, it's it's because we know we know the typical story of of uh, you know redlining and and uh, you know housing denials for uh, for minorities uh, people of color families of color throughout the years and we know that that stops you from gaining generational wealth and we know that that stops you from having a better education for your children and the cycle of poverty and all these things but to to, to find out that not on top of that and rather purposefully or ins- or insidiously so. Uh, your health is being affected uh, quite drastically. And in fact, that alone leads to some of the later episodes that we did with the effect of coronavirus on these communities uh, having a much uh, sharper, uh, much more tragic impact. Yes. Yeah. And I think I like the you use the word insidious because when you think about it that way, I mean, it was racist. These were deliberate policies meant right. to keep um, minority people in one spot of a, a city or a town or, or a state. And it's the other the policies now of our generation not addressing climate change um, in, in a significant way is now actually killing people. Right. Um, and I think that the yeah, you got to You got to triple down on the racism now. Yeah, you got to triple right. down. Yeah, I think the stat that they had in the study was something like the 94 percent of the areas or the communities that they studied showed the higher temperatures um, due to climate change. It's really it's really fascinating. Yeah. And, and, and of course, on this episode, um, we had our artist in resident silent night uh, translate all of this into just, you know, incredible verses. This is where you're going to hear folks. If you don't know already uh, in the uh, immortal words of, uh, of uh, Mr. Smalls, uh, if you don't know now, you'll know uh, I paraphrased. Uh, I know the real line, uh, but this will be an, ex- an excerpt from that episode to show you what we do at Newsbeat, where we take these stories that you may not have heard of, these social justice aligned stories, we meld them over, uh, we meld them over <laughs> uh, music with a uh, a score that's sort of like a musical score, like listening to a like watching a movie and the music underneath, and then the uh, strictly, I mean, the brilliant lyrical contributions from our artist friends uh, that contribute to these episodes help, as you say, Chris, translate or emphasize or put a real exclamation point on the issues through the use of music and lyrics. Uh, here, people uh, kindly um, enjoy a very, very brief snippet from Redlining and Climate Change. And if you like that, you will be subscribing to the Newsbeat podcast for free wherever you find fantastic, delicious podcasts. Here it is, y'all. In many ways, if the planet is getting warmer and we're seeing more frequent, more intense and longer duration heat waves, then in many ways we are encountering uh, what I would call a public health crisis that's very preventable. This is one of the most preventable natural hazards that we could encounter. And yet we are still seeing people die unnecessarily across the country. Studies across the country Caught on front streets of the upteen It's more than just a little musty You're uncomfy Keep getting too much heat Sounding like a Trump speech Denying climate No canopies or brush trees Inside and rides Denying bias while they flying bias I hide behind the same tight lies What well, time's up Few degrees Fahrenheit up You might bust 
That's what pressure does, makes the pipes bust. That's why there's hell up in Harlem, that's why we starving. That's why, that's why they spit the same jargon, that's why we marching. That's why, that's why the Bronx was burning, it's not arson. That's why they carpet bagging and why they're carbon overheating. And the heat in the apartment is like a swamp and they don't even care. It's the biggest market. Is it possible that pollution... So there you have it. Once again, uh, an excerpt from Redlining and Climate Change episode of Newsbeat, uh, the award-winning podcast that melds social justice journalism with music and original hip-hop lyrics by um, incredible, brilliant uh, contributors such as Silent Night. Shouts to SK, our artist in residence, along with Liquid, uh, who's touched down on a number of episodes. You can find us at usnewsbeat.com. Or, of course, wherever you subscribe to podcasts. Newsbeat, two words, one love. Make sure you find us, subscribe to us, rate us, review us, tell all your friends. Uh, it's all to the good when we have family tuned in and listening to what we are doing. That was our. I'm supposed to do that beforehand, but <laughs> it's all good. That was our episode spotlight for the week, uh, redlining and climate change. As we learn more about the effects of the environment, <laughs> not only from millions of years ago, but from yeah. like 50. So. Yep. so as this relates to our question of the day, a new alert. A new, a new alert. <laughs> Come on, man. All right, here it is. Wait for Michigan judge rejects GOP demand to delay certification of vote count in Detroit. So another frivolous lawsuit Mm -hmm. tossed away. Thrown away. Yeah. Well, that's why we hear uh, for new tune. uh, Just if you're just tuning in, uh, that's why we find out that in a last uh, attempt bid for victory, uh, Donald Trump has changed his name to Joe Biden. Uh, He thinks that that's going to work somehow. But, you know, I don't think it will. Uh, But we'll see. So thank you for that breaking news. And again, yes, the question of the day. Please answer in the comments uh, if you have not. I'm busy right now. I know. It's very, uh, I should put up a warning. Uh, (laughs) uh, Again, shouts to people who tuned in uh, earlier today. I love to do this. Uh, Shouts, of course, to Sage, uh, who helps us out on a couple of things as well. Thank you so much for your help. Uh, Rhythm and food, my man, Sean, out in Brick City. Uh, Of course, uh, Philip Stotty. Lisa Dunn, Jed Mori, and anyone else tuned in and turned up with us. Uh, I appreciate you uh, coming with us. This is Fridays Live at 1 p.m. Uh, we're live streaming wherever you're watching now, and you can come back uh, and check out the replays if you miss it, uh, or you can uh, check out the podcast feed. Again, we're going to drop these. We're going to start dropping these on the podcast feed. Now, um, where are we at in the show, gentle, gentlemen? I think we got to go back to the past. We have to go back to the past, way back way back into time this week but back then so we like to look back at the past um find out you know in social justice lens through a social justice lens uh you know what has happened in history uh, we do not like to forget the history we often know that some of these topics that we've been talking about don't make it to the history books Amen. Uh, so we are, uh, as we talked about the aforementioned uh, Emmett Till uh, house uh, being uh, saved from development and uh, some other uh, stories that have come up. We do like to look at the past, as they say. Um, don't forget the past or you'll run into a wall. I think that's the, <laughs> I think that's yeah, I think that's the saying. Uh, what do we have? Who's taking it today? Chris, is this you? 
I believe it is. On you, my man. Tell us uh, what happened in the past so that we might not repeat it in the future. Yeah. And as Manny mentioned, you know, uh, one of our missions is to shine a light on these incredibly uh, important events that somehow just got erased and no one knows about um, and is definitely not taught in school. So 122 years ago, on November 10th, is what is known as the uh, Wilmington, North Carolina insurrection, otherwise known as the Wilmington Massacre, where it, I mean, it basically stands as potentially the, the only true uh, coup on a municipality uh, within uh, the United States domestic soil. I mean, you know, we'll have episodes in the future talking about all the coups that the U.S. has launched across the globe. Uh, <laughs> there have been a few. Dozens of, of coups <laughs> across the globe. But uh, this one, I mean, you had members, you had 2,000 or so uh, members of the Klan, um, some former Confederate soldiers uh, all joined forces to overthrow uh, the city's government and install their own uh, leaders, if mm-hmm. you will. They killed hundreds of African-Americans, um, you know, in the process. And that bloody uh, massacre is sort of given credit to what was the, the beginning of the Jim Crow laws that disenfranchised uh, so many for generations and testament to that, um, I just might just want to double check this stat. But I'm just uh, while you're doing that, I don't know if you can see the screen. I'm showing some uh, some clips, some photos. StarNewsOnline.com speaking about uh, the awareness of the massacre and uh, some ongoing efforts to memorialize it uh, with the memorial in Wilmington, uh, North Carolina. Just so you know, just so yeah. to describe what people are looking at. Uh, if you're in the podcast feed, uh, StarNewsOnline.com has a great slideshow of uh, again. Um, Images from the past, as well as the movement to memorialize and uh, the occurrence. So, yeah, they 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 burnt down, you know, black-owned businesses. Uh, they destroyed its only black newspaper, the Daily Record. Um, you know, and again, killed hundreds. And testament to this horrific uh, event, this this massacre, uh, the legacy lives on. You know, no black citizen served in public office in Wilmington until seventy-two. 1972, and no black citizen from North Carolina was elected to Congress until 1992. Hmm. And then, of course, just this past summer, in June, you had three Wilmington police officers who were fired after a recording surfaced of them using racial slurs and, quote, to start slaughtering African-Americans in the city there and wipe them off the effing map. So uh, just, you know. Horrific uh, legacy. Yep. Uh, thanks for that, Chris. It was something I was, uh, you know, I may have heard of. It's sort of like the uh, the Tulsa race riots and such. You, you hear about them. You don't really see them covered very much. Uh, you don't see them memorialized. Uh, you know, we just memorialized Veterans Day, for example, which, of course, you know, is something that we should do. And, and it's 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 worthy of doing. Uh, we memorialize 9-11. We memorialize a lot of events that occur in this country. But remarkably. We don't seem to memorialize some of the more uh, tragic uh, events that uh, happened on our own soil uh, perpetrated by our own. Yeah. On each own. So. If you want to bring it back today, I think it also sort of, um, you know, reignites the discussion over reparations, right? 
I mean, mm. especially what happened in Black Wall Street and what Chris just mentioned now in Wilmington. Uh, yep. You know, you would think that these would be part of the discussion. Yep. Well, uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, rumor has it we have a new president coming. <laughs> So we'll see if these things get addressed. Uh, I don't know that they will. We'll have to pay attention uh, to what's going to happen in the future. The future. Okay. The future. If you if you listen, that's the past where we've screwed everything up. Yeah. How about how about how about the potential for some kind of uh, improvements in the future? Yeah, so if you watched last week's stream, you remember that we spoke to Miriam uh, Krinsky from Fair and Just Prosecution, and she talked about one of these um, reform prosecutors uh, named George Gasson, who was vying for the DA's uh, position in, in Los Angeles, which is mm. the largest pros, uh, prosecutorial office in the country. I think there's like thousands of lawyers. So it, this this person is really the head of a, of a huge you know operation. So it turns out that George Gasson, uh, the, the reform-minded prosecutor, um, unseated Jackie Lacey, who had been in office since, I want to say, two, uh, 2012. And she sort of caught the ire of um, Black Lives Matter protesters, who were sort of like on a da- daily just demonstrating outside her office and raising concerns about her uh, her role in uh, in death penalty cases and not doing enough to stop, um, you know, uh, uh, to uh, prosecute um, officers who – uh, in police brutality cases. Right. So this was, and I, I want to cut you off uh, races. I want to cut you off. It's a significant race. It's a significant issue. People who are watching this, you're interested in social justice. You're watching this week in social justice, the importance of DAs, the importance of local government. This is something that really focuses that we, we've done an episode on it as well. Law and disorder. Was that the, the yeah. episode? Uh, great episode on, on, on. So a lot of the focus is on the presidential race and the, you know, the big ticket folks, Again, not to cut you off, I just want to emphasize how important these local victories that you don't hear about, even if you're in the the state where it happens, you don't really necessarily are tuned into this. Please, I didn't mean to cut you off, but it's such an important aspect of of politics, progressiveness, social justice, these local, especially DA kind of elections. Yeah, no, I definitely appreciate the emphasis on it because, you know, it's one of those positions that up until recently, really, I would say, you know, like five or six years ago, um, a lot of these DAs just sort of sailed uh, to reelection. They would often be endorsed by both parties. So you would have a a Democrat and a Republican DA. You wouldn't know where his where he stood on any issues, because if there wasn't any challenger in the race, there wouldn't be debates. There wouldn't be open discussions about the policies that they're pushing forward. And DAs are incredibly powerful in terms of setting the agenda when it comes from criminal when it comes to criminal justice in a community or a city. So George Casson's right. victory is seen as one of the sort of stepping stones, but a significant um, uh, race to look at because it, it's going to show how uh, uh, a progressive minded uh, DA can handle a big city like like Los Angeles that you already have Larry Krasner in Philadelphia, right? Who has taken on that role. I think he was elected back in 2016, 2017. Mm. So, you know, and then just to, just to talk about Gasson really quick, he wants yeah. to, he wants to stop the use of the death penalty in LA. And I think there was a report out that said uh, Jackie Lacey, since her time in office had sent 22 men to, um, to death row during mm. her time. He wants to increase accountability for police departments and decriminalize mental health. And that's another issue that we covered on a Newsbeat episode in terms of the, the, the 
disproportionate number of people in jails and prisons who are who have a mental health uh, issue. Right. And, you know, and then and I think this is important too. the the, uh, the Black Lives Matter protesters that I had mentioned earlier who were demonstrating outside Lacey's office have uh, said that they're going to do the same thing um, once uh, Gasson is um uh, in office because they want to keep up the pressure. And I think that's something similar that's going to happen potentially with Joe Biden as president. So I think all the, all these things connect. Interesting. Interesting. So, yeah, uh, I was, you know, again, this, this was late breaking, right? This, this kind of came. Yeah. It's funny. So we, when we were uh, interviewing Miriam last Friday, the news right. broke she mentioned right it. after our conversation with her. So, right. So we're very prescient. We were on top of the issue right before it yeah. broke. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So I urge people, uh, you know, this is, I think, the overarching message uh, from these elections and whatever happens, whether again, and, and a couple of minutes left, if you haven't left your answer to our question of the week, please do so in the comment section. But this ties into all that. When we're speaking from looking at the world from a social justice lens and doing it like our way, we're not cable news. We're not like, you know, talking heads and we have to have a, you know, a set way of doing things. We're just I'm just a regular dude. I'm just a guy. You guys are journalists. You're super smart and you you uncover all these things. And then we talk about it like real people to real people. Uh, so I appreciate the audience and I appreciate people checking in and checking us out. Definitely. But that's that's the key here. All the hoopla is over the president and all the, you know, presidenty things. But at the end of the day, all politics are local. That's not just a saying, but, you know, that's a, a, a mantra. If you're not focused on what's happening around you and you only jump up and down every four years, then your engagement, your civic engagement is very minimal. Yeah. And I know it's funny. My, my daughter and my wife will be like, oh, here you go, watching the news again. And, yeah, I know. It's a thing, you know, this obsession with the news and watching the cable news on top of that. Rashad, you and me could argue about it all day. We got to have a crossfire segment when we talk about the cable news. But the point is that I stay engaged all throughout every year. And I know what's happening and I know what's happening in my area. I live in Newark, New Jersey. Local politics is really important in Newark, New Jersey. Uh, Mayor Raz Baraka has done some great things. There's some things that need to be done. It's a very progressive city in some ways. Uh, it handled COVID very well, and some other cities were looking at Newark. Uh, local government does that. There's a ton of things to be found out when you look at your local or your state or your regional uh, governmental thing. School board. Yeah. It's so important to just look. So if this last cycle got you revved up, and fired up as you know, what is it? What does Obama say? Uh, fired up and ready to go, right, or something like that. You know, think about the uh, the same energy uh, that we might have all had collectively to change the 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 position at the top, which was very important. I, I don't know. I don't care how you look. I really don't care what side of the uh, political fence you lean on. This election was was important. Because what one side was trying to do was really subvert democracy. So you don't, might not like the guy who won that much, but you had to stop the skid. And then we got to do a lot of more work going forward. So uh, part of that is, is, uh, is you getting involved in local politics. And, and this story right here, look up uh, the story um, that we that we shown. Do I still have it up? I do. Look the story up. Learn about it. Find out about more. Uh, folks like this. Um, yeah. And not only that, look up who your local district attorney is 100%. and also fi find out how long they've been in office. Cause I guarantee you it's probably longer than two terms. And that's um, I, Yeah. So I think we can guarantee that. And, and we do recommend and, listening to this episode. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And then look into who's been the, who has been a challenger uh, in those races, if there even has been. Um, and then that's, that's one way to get involved. Definitely. I would like to run for office unopposed. 
Yeah. <laughs> isn't that isn't that nice for six election cycles in a row? I know. Well, apparently that news uh, got to uh, Donald Trump because in a uh, final bid for victory, Trump has decided to change his name to Joe Biden. Because if your name is Joe Biden, <laughs> hold on, hit, follow me now. Uh, so there is that as well. Uh, we are here every Friday doing this craziness. Uh, we hope that you enjoyed us. Uh, once again, a couple of comments. I'll just I'll I'll scroll through them from before. Uh, people who are um, either concerned or not so concerned about study, man. We don't got time for all this. This is a long comment, man. You got a bullet points or something, bro. Uh, but we'll come I think back. The question to- was like eight words. I know. Um, but thank you for your input uh, and everyone else who also uh, joined in uh, via Facebook or uh, or YouTube. I got something cool coming up at the end. Don't leave yet. Well, our, our our unscientific poll says nobody's concerned. So there you go. There you go. All right. So very good. Yeah, most people here are not too concerned. Uh, Jed thinks that it doesn't matter, regardless. Yeah, the cycle, uh, rinse, wash, and repeat kind of thing. He's probably right. Uh, okay, so this went pretty well this week in social justice. Uh, follow Newsbeat the podcast. We don't have to tell you that. You guys are with us, and I think that's it. Uh, <laughs> and don't just answer- stop there. We got a rate. We got a rate and review. Yes, rate and review us. Let let people know uh, and yeah. share us. The rate and review is important, but really share. Just tell people what we're doing. I think it's really um that's really helpful. I like the word of mouth advertising. I appreciate it. And I'm going to now uh, play what will now be known as the most fantastic uh, aspect of the show. Uh, moving forward, uh, our quote of the week. Uh, last week it was uh, the inimitable Anderson Cooper uh, equating President Trump to a fat. Uh, turtle flailing uh, on his back, flailing on his back, which I thought was a great quote. <laughs> it was just you don't hear. He since apologized for it. I guess it was unjournalistic of him. I think, of him. I, think yeah. I don't know if it was more of that. I think he just truly felt bad. So what if it was it's just a regular turtle? Was it like a fat shaming turtle? I thing? think it was the uh, overweight that probably. Okay, so a turtle. If he had just said turtle. Yeah, flailing in said, the hot sun. I don't I think the it. sun had anything to do with it. Yeah, I think it was just the yeah. it was it was poetic though. It really yeah. was. Um so uh this week I decided to uh, uh do something non-political uh in respect uh and homage to the late great Alex Trebek. Oh, this is the quote of the week. As we let's wrap, kids. Julia. I'll take let's wrap kids for 200, please. Started from the bottom, now we're here. Started from the bottom, now the whole team here. Lily. What is Drake? Good. Back to you, Julia. Uh, let's wrap for 600, please. Buy a chopper and have a doctor on speed dial, I guess. Mad city. Julia. Who is Kendrick Lamar? Right. Uh, let's wrap for 800, please. Six foot, seven foot, eight foot bunch. Young money militia, and I am the commissioner. You don't want to start wheezy because the F is for finisher. Alex. Who is Kanye West? No. Lily. Who's Lil Wayne? Lil Wayne, yeah. Uh, let's wrap for 400, please. They mad, they ain't famous. They mad, they still nameless. But we still hood famous. Yeah, we still hood famous. Julia. Who is Kanye West? Yes, and I hope uh, I don't get an email from him. <laughs> Uh, let's wrap for a thousand. 
Panda, 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 panda. <laughs> Lily. Who's designer? Designer, yes, and that takes you up to 2,600. I was just getting into this rap thing. I'm not too good at it, but I was getting into it. We'll come back in a moment. That's yes, incredible, <laughs> man. They basically swept that category that once again. Rochette and I don't see these things prior to it going live. So like we're, we're experiencing it just at the same time as you all. And yes, <laughs> yes, Mr. Tebeck, you are still indeed hood famous. Rest <laughs> in peace. Our friend, everyone's friend, Mr. Yeah. Alex Trebek. So gentlemen, I think that brings us to the close. Take this us is, out. This is this week in social. I don't have a closing thing. I have only supposed to rectify that last week. But I had to make a new opener because we had a new image. I had to make. Wait, but you didn't make that. You didn't make that. We should start this whole thing over. I still made it. You didn't make that. (laughs) The image was made. I made the movie with the music and the flipping back and forth. That's true. It was a it was a team effort. Team right. effort. So absolutely. you're gonna make a promise to the viewers for next week to I'm close gonna, this out somehow. Yeah, I mean, I could just do this. Yeah, I mean, like if you really wanna. Oh my god! But <laughs> listen, we'll be back next Friday at 1 p.m. Uh, live and direct right here on your YouTube dial or your Facebook dial. I guess we'll take it out with the countdown to that we count you down in with. We'll count you down out with. My name is Manny Faces. That's Christopher Tawarski, the editor in chief of Newsbeat. Say hi. Say bye. That's uh, Rashid Mian, managing editor. Peace, everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's your man, Manny Faces. I'll catch you next week, Friday, with my cohorts here as we take you out with the countdown to greatness, featuring some of our friends, our buddies. Peace. We'll see you next week. I am Brother Cornell. Be sure to keep listening. Here comes that bonus episode with Marcus Farrell, recorded just moments after Joe Biden was projected to win Georgia. This is Chris Hedges. I'm Rosa Clemente. Hey, what's up? This is Chuck D, Public Enemy Prophets of Rage. And this is Newsbeat. Peace and love. It's your man, Manny Faces, producer and host of Newsbeat, the Newsbeat podcast, mixing social justice journalism with music and very often original lyrical contributions from brilliant hip hop artists. We are the melding of art and journalism. We like to say it's like if this uh, Democracy Now! and Black Thought had a podcast, baby. You might have just tuned in for our weekly Friday this week in social justice. This is the bonus you didn't ask for. Uh, as you can see on the screen, Marcus Farrell, former deputy manager, uh, campaign manager to Stacey Abrams and a lot more hats that he wears, uh, is now joining us. Uh, There's been a flurry of activity in the state of Georgia today, so we certainly understand why uh, he wasn't available for our uh, 1 o'clock stream. But we said, hey, let's just go live and do it Do it again. Uh, Joining me, as always, managing editor of Newsbeat, Mr. Rashed Mian, the editor-in-chief of Christopher Tawar... The (laughs) editor-in-chief of Christopher... Do you edit yourself? Is that how this works? That's The editor-in-chief... Of Newsbeat, Mr. Christopher Tawarski, uh, and of course, uh, as we mentioned, the inimitable uh, Marcus Farrell, former deputy campaign manager Stacey Abrams, is joining us. Rashed, who is our guest and why are we here? Why are we doing this crazy thing? Okay, so all of a sudden, as we were signing off the live stream, our our weekly Friday show, we got news that uh, Georgia has been called for Joseph Biden, the president-elect. Wait, wait, wait. You mean we got... <laughs> and, it, it, and it's some crazy, you know what? We'll make sure. 
so yeah, so uh, Georgia was called for uh, Joe Biden, and this is big news, especially if you follow politics, because a, a Democrat hasn't taken that state since Bill Clinton did in 1992, and it's been 10 days since the official clo- official close of the election. So we're very happy to have Marcus on. Marcus, um, again, we appreciate it. The, uh, J- Marcus knows a lot, of, obviously, about the state of Georgia. He's the former deputy campaign manager to Stacey Abrams, the former chief of staff to the New Georgia Project, which we've all heard a lot about in the last uh, week and a half. And he also was uh, uh, the Black Outreach Director uh, for Bernie Sanders' 2016 presidential campaign. So, Marcus, thanks again for coming coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate being on. Sorry I came so late. It is kind of crazy down here right now. <laughs> uh, yeah. T- so, you know what? Let, let's start with that. Tell us about it. So, Georgia has gone blue, like I said, for the first time since 1992. Um, how did it happen? What's going on in that? What's going on in that state? Game, set, match for Donald, <laughs> for Joe Biden here in the state of Georgia. Um, uh, we have officially uh, turned this state blue. And, um, you know, first, I, you know, first, I would be remiss if I didn't just say that a lot of work happened, uh, a lot of people behind the scenes, um, a lot of years of pressure fighting Republican opposition in structural ways. Literal systemic racism has um, has kept eligible voters from voting in the state for years and all the organizations that were involved in every time they were purged. 250 people, 250,000 people. These organizations down here would register 400,000 people. And it was a it was a never ending battle. And you, you got to understand that, like um, these guys down here, like Republicans down here are not used to losing uh, anything. Um, it's a part of the sort of uh, I'm not going to say white supremacist, but definitely white power structure in the state of Georgia that has been dominating uh, Georgia politics for the last basically 30 years. And, and, and it's a good thing to see. So like today is a day where, I mean, we already, we already knew it. Like we knew it the day that it, yeah. it was finally counted, but we also know that white supremacy doesn't die easily. It has to be, it sort of has to be uh, evident and reformed and, and, and switched around and turned around in different ways because these guys refuse to say no and they refuse to take a L, but the demographics in the state just has changed that the effort, the work, has changed that. Stacey Abrams running uh, changed that. Uh, New Georgia Project and Nse Ufa and, and Alex Birch and all those guys at New Georgia Project who've been like knocking on doors. I'm going to give New Georgia Project a specific shout out before yeah. I give a shout out to to uh, Fair Fight State and Fair Fighting folks, right? Like New Georgia Project, when nobody was watching, mm-hmm. when Georgia was like, oh, there's no way that Georgia can ever turn blue. Uh, we had organizers in every corner of the state talking to voters, uh, speaking to voters. Uh, look at my, that's my video right there. Uh, talking to voters. I got you, man. I got you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the website. Um, I, I'm no longer with them, but I, I, st- I still support them in every me- measure and means. Matter of fact, I have New Georgia Project talking points in front of me right now because they want to make sure that I'm fully uh, capable of, of handling myself on air be- without having a babysitter. So, um, <laughs> so no, no, I mean, the work that has been done, you got to understand something. We've been fighting when MSNBC wouldn't even cover us, when CNN wouldn't cover us, when, honestly, when ev- even, you know, more progressive outlets wouldn't cover the state of Georgia because historically it's just been so bad down here so today's a good day uh and then you know shout out to stacy abrams campaign who galvanized uh this state 
into doing what it did. And and I'm also, you know, happy to not necessarily announce, but I got a funny feeling uh, that my friend Stacy is going to be running for governor again. So this is a good way to kick oh, it wow. off. You know, um, yeah. this is a good way to kick. I, now, this is not an official thing, but like yeah. we got some unfinished business here in the state of Georgia. Uh, <laughs> it's cute that Biden got elected. I'm, a, you know, I'm a progressive. I'm a black progressive. So Biden getting elected is more so. But but Stacy getting Stacy actually having the potential to run for governor excites me a lot more. Uh, and this is a good leeway into that. So congratulations, Georgia NGP. Like I'm giving them rap shout outs right now. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Georgia, New Georgia Project, NGP. You know what I mean? My, my people down in Thomasville, you know what I'm talking about? Hey, listen, I got you. <laughs> so we got you. You in the right spot. I'm talking about. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's uh, I mean, the best part about, I mean, so first, we know, yeah, there was a small bit of concern. Right. Um, and I'm pretty sure Lauren Grow Argo, who never who, who, whose name never she never comes out, but she's probably one of the most important figures. She runs a fair fight and she she was also my campaign manager for Stacey Abrams. And she knows this state left and right. I mean, I'm sure that she's ecstatic, but, she, you know, all of us had a little concern uh, yeah. when they decided they were going to do a recount because of the shenanigans that they can pull. I mean, listen, Georgia is a neighboring state to Florida and I'm a Florida boy, but Florida's Florida man. You know what I mean? And we know what happened in 2000. Them, 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 there's ballast sitting on in the, uh, in the St. John's river right now from 2000 that has uh, algae growing on them right now that, that actually got George Bush elected. So, mm. you know, we were worried about those things, but yeah, well, I think it was AOC that recently said that uh, Georgia's not a red state. It's a voter suppressed state, right? That's right. That's right. And it's hard for the Republican party nationally definitely locally but especially nationally to to look at this state as anything but but i mean guys we had to do what the dnc didn't want to do us to do well let me change that of course they wanted us to do it but not necessarily supported us throughout the years to do like we had to take private money we had to take small dollar donations and and hire black and brown organizers all over this state and scrap to you know to to fight against this voter suppression tactics i'm talking about uh i'm talking about places in south georgia where you know there's never been a sheriff's race because they wouldn't even have a race right like so we couldn't like they literally wouldn't even there's places in georgia that have never had a a recent sheriff's race because the the the, like the supervisor elections for that county wouldn't call it because he was best friends with the sheriff right Uh, uh this is antebellum politics in the state of Georgia. So for, you know, for a seat for for seats of blue power, for seats of progressive power like Albany, like Savannah, like Atlanta, like Macon, right? Places that you would never hear about but should be on the national radar. Man, I'm going to tell you something. Macon, Georgia saved America. The SWATs where outcast them from, where, where Goody Mob from, saved America. Like these places that you heard all this beautiful music now and beautiful hip hop and beautiful culture, right? Now it's Little John and, and everybody else from the, that point, like their neighbor saved America, right? So I, I live in Fulton County. I live in Old Fourth Ward. I live a block away from where Martin Luther King is 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 laying right now next to Coretta Scott King, right? I'm, I'm, I'm in the hood, right? And like lines were around the corner, man. And you can't, you can't, you can't suppress everybody. You it, the <laughs> sheer numbers. I mean, to be honest with you, if it was played fair, it wouldn't even have been the vote count right now. It would have been a 200, 300,000 vote difference, but we still beat the ass. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And, and Marcus, now, 
there's a huge turnout in so-called swing states of black voters for Biden across the board. Right. Um, but Georgia seemed to really crystallize, you know, how powerful of a political force black Americans are. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, just this, like you said, this impressive, this historic turnout, uh, especially among young people, how that helped deliver the win? Right. Well, so um, young voters ages 18 to 24 uh, in the state of Georgia turned out at the highest rates that they've turned out uh, in the history of black voters. Right. Black black voters who are ages 18 to 24 really turned out. So it also seems to you know, it also brings up another question. And I know this is not what you asked me, but it is something to think about. It also brings up a question of how progressive any administration is going to be when these young folks were the same ones who were so pissed off uh, this summer, uh, like having protests right down the street. Right. If you think that the Black Lives Matter protest this summer didn't galvanize, didn't give Joe Biden a victory because of because everybody has common sense. Yeah, we know about Joe Biden's past. But but as Dr. West said on 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 my podcast, uh, you know, I would much rather vote for a neoliberal than a neo-fascist. And and it's going to be a good question whether the policies that this administration has actually matches the 18 to 24 year olds that normally don't turn out at the level that they turn out to actually put them over the top. Uh, what changed Georgia? I'm going to tell you what changed Georgia. First off, being tired of being sick and tired of being sick and tired changed Georgia. Um uh, sick and tired of people ignoring us. Uh, as Andre, my dear brother Andre, three thousand three stacks said, uh, the South got something to say, mm-hmm. and we've been had something to say, but mm-hmm. unfortunately, because of the amount of how how I guess cute Iowa is to national figures that when Stacey ran initially, there was no interest from major organizations in the primary to to figure out that there's a black woman that's running for governor in Georgia until we turned that corner. I mean, there's a lot more than that, but I'm going to tell you a pivot. That was a pivotal point, man. That was the pivotal. That was a pivotal point is when Stacey turned the corner and got and got her name recognition out there. And then and when she lost by literally when she lost by the same amount of voters that that Kemp purged, like mm. she literally lost by the same amount of voters that Brian Kemp purged. Right. And knowing that, knowing that, it, OK, well, if that's the case, then all we got to do is do more work. So people started paying attention uh, and started funding organizations down here. I mean, Black Voters Matter has been doing their thing down here. Shout out to Mondale Robinson with the Black Male Voter Project. Like, you know, um, uh, just so many organizations that were voter that were voter focused and voter engaged um that's what turned like that's what turned the corner and also just black people saying we all we got so even if they don't show up we're going to do it ourselves yeah marcus and you talked about sort of the progressive messaging you know coming out of you know that party you already saw right after the election this sort of i guess it's just like this knee-jerk reaction by you know moderate democrats and even the mainstream media to start blaming you know the left for their own failures for the establishment's failures so we have um two key uh runoffs happening in georgia until I think the election is January 5th, right? So, I mean, how, uh, in terms of the messaging, what are the policies that these uh, candidates need to talk about heading into the runoff? Because I think I already saw from um, Ossoff, especially, he did an interview with Axios. Oh, and he was talking that. about D.C. statehood, Puerto Rico statehood. And I was thinking, what, what? how do those issues impact people in Georgia? Right. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, first, I am going to vote for Ossoff. 
and I personally am going to vote for uh, Reverend Warnock, who at and here's a little F, here's another thing. Reverend Warnock was the uh, chair of New Georgia Project for years, so he understands the the sort of ethos, and I'm happy that he's he threw his hat in the ring. Um, I said this on Twitter, but I'll say it again. Uh, there are more. There have been this week. There have been more white consultants to come down to Atlanta than there were PS fives. Uh, so, so what I'll say about that is like, I, I'm, 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 all right, I'm going to be honest, but I'm also going to be optimistic. So here's a little doom and gloom. And here's yeah, also yeah. a little optimism, both in, wrapped up in one statement. Uh, man, when the DNC gets involved, when the National Democrats, when the National Democratic Establishment gets involved, I start getting scared because they want to treat everywhere like Iowa. And I've already seen, and you got to know black people and know that two thirds of the state and the majority of Democratic voters, like black women alone are 50 percent of the Democratic voters in, in the state of Georgia. Right. By themselves. Right. Just black women. Right. Uh, black men are like 25 to 35 percent. Right. And you need to turn them out. Right. Now, here's the difference. There's no top of the ticket sexy campaign at the top anymore. Mm -hmm. Right. There's there's isolated Ossoff, uh, Ossoff and Warnock versus uh, Republicans. Right. Yeah. And typically in off elections, we don't necessarily do good. So that Axios interview didn't help. It just didn't help. Um, I wish John Ossoff would just be quiet, right? Like, <laughs> like, don't say nothing. Like, let us let us do this for you, so we can at least because you're going on saying I don't defund. Like, it, it, if you're a politician, you don't have to say I don't believe in defunding the police. You can like work your way around that stuff. Um, you, you're supposed to be the savvy guy and he is a savvy guy but the just the sheer like gall of this guy when he answered those questions in that interview was very disappointing and it makes it hard because you got to understand something again the folks that you need for turnout the folks that are so excited about you are the same folks who were who are on john lewis parkway and boulevard protesting and shutting down traffic and screaming one word defund the police now you can believe in it or you don't have to believe in it. you can call it whatever name that you want to and i understand the conundrum because georgia is a typically uh sort of conservatively blue state, but you got to shut up to get all the numbers. Right. So I think that two things are going to happen. I think that if white consultants get their, their, their hands on all the money and the decision making process, we're going to lose. Um, and that's typically what happens. Right. But I also think that if they smarten up and there are women like there are people, leaders in the state like NSA and Stacy who will stand in that gap and, and me right now being on this show will stand in that gap and be like, no, 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 no. You guys can stay in the Hilton. Uh, we'll 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 send you to Strokers or we'll send you to the strip club or something like that. Like y'all can y'all can y'all go eat some wings, you know, at the at, at wherever y'all y'all go ahead and get you some hot hot some honey hot barbecue, right? But we don't need you trying to dictate where our canvases go and also the messaging behind uh, the messaging behind the commercials that we run because uh, we need dynamic messaging. We don't need the same messaging that happened in Iowa and that happens in New Hampshire and happens in the Midwest and the consultants that come and, and give these whack ass commercials coming down here and doing that, or they're going to mess it up for us. So let us lead. Mm. Yeah. Marcus, Marcus, I just, I, you know, obviously in an extraordinary story here, just in terms of the power of, of grassroots organizing, right? Yeah. If you could just talk a little bit about that too, just like, as you mentioned at the, at the beginning of the show here, you know, just knocking on doors, just like hitting the pavement, you know, shoe leather, just getting out there and, and trying to get the vote. 
Yeah, um, there. Yeah, I, I will. I will. I won't even go about. I won't even go to GOTV because what you have to understand is the capability to vote is more important than voting in Georgia, mm-hmm. right? So I'm not going to talk about turnout. What I'm going to mm-hmm. talk about is the protection measures that these organizations, the ACLU, New Georgia Project, have done to protect voters' rights to voting. So you have to, so I'm I'm using the story. An example is Jeff Davis County, down in the middle. Yeah, Jeff Davis County. How about that, right? Like you still have a county name, Jeff. It's not Jefferson, you know. It's Jeff right. Davis County. Um, and what they Davis did was, Light, right? Davis Light. And what they did <laughs> this was last year. What they did was they had three precincts, right? They had three precincts in this in their in their in their county, and what they managed to do was take. They, they decided that they were going to consolidate all the precincts, get rid of the black precincts and basically take the white vote and basically make everybody in the white voting precinct go to the white voting precinct that's downtown. And um, uh, so so virtually what do black voters what do black people think when they go to City Hall? What do black people think in general when they go in, into official establishments? For the most part, you the police. Right. So it, it was not only taking away their easy access to vote, it was forcing them to vote in a place that had sheriff's cars all around. Mm-hmm. It, right. Uh, and if that's not voter suppression, I mean, voter intimidation, then what do you have? So organizations like my uh, like New Georgia Project and uh, and 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 I, I believe ACLU is with us. We went down there and we shut it down. Right. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, they have never seen the onslaught of African-American people who could who who could uh, represent their neighborhoods so well because we brought their own neighborhoods to there and we packed the courthouses, man. And they ended up leaving all of the uh, voting precincts open. Little stories like that is I think is more important than the turnout because you got to have the capability to vote like we're fighting on two fronts, registering people, three fronts, <laughs> registering people to vote protecting that vote and then turning them out right we can in this whole georgia turns blue narrative we cannot forget the most important part was actually keeping people having the capacity to vote i could easily tell you about um the 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 amount of that that black male voter project sent over a million text messages in the state of Georgia mm-hmm. to black vote to black men trying to get them to turn out for for the presidency. I could easily tell you about the how New Georgia Project Action Fund and and uh, Black Voters Matter went and galvanized it, during COVID went and galvanized hundreds of thousands of voters to make sure that they practiced themselves, but they wouldn't even have the capacity to vote if mm-hmm. we didn't do some damn hard work just protecting the right to vote. Yeah, Marcus, that's amazing. And just the last thing from us, <clears throat> you mentioned Stacey, you mentioned Stacey Abrams and maybe potentially some unfinished business. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> heading into a couple of years. Um, yeah. So, yeah. just can you just how deep are those wounds? I mean, in Kemp, you had a guy running for governor who was the secretary of state at the same time they were purging voters from the rolls. I mean, so is there a sense that I'm sure, you know, uh, for Stacey Abrams, it's it's a wound that's very raw still. That you know, she's she she channeled that that, you know, that energy into organizing and what you're talking about, but just for, for, for people in Georgia, her supporters, just, you know, how much has that left a bad taste in your mouth? Not at all. I mean, you, 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 I'm a, I'm a black man from the streets, man. You, you, (laughs) you, you punch me, bro. You better, (laughs) you only got one chance to do it. You got, Hey, listen, you you can only catch me slipping one time, bro. And that's the same thing with with Stacey, right? Like ain't nobody down here sad. 
Ain't no bad taste in our mouth. We know what happened. We won the election. Like, we won the election and y'all took it from us. So, okay. Got it. Like, got it. <laughs> gotcha. So, so how many numbers was that? How many voters did y'all purge? Uh, got it. Right. They're going to have to come out with some extreme measures to stop the fourth gra- the fourth fastest growing uh, metropolitan. That actually we might be the second fastest metropolitan mm-hmm. growing metropolitan area in the country outside of, ironically, Maricopa County. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so we so like Gwinnett is the fourth fastest growing county in America. Fulton County is like the seventh. Right. You're talking about and it's not like a whole bunch of Karens moving here, man. It's black people, bro. And. And 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 there's there's we just I mean there's no reason to be like to be angry because when you when you're angry you fight the wrong way right you get punched in the face mm-hmm. you know you got like Bruce Lee you got to be be like Wata like you have mm-hmm. to you have to actually have control punches and you have to have and basically what I'm saying is you have to have strategy. What happened in Georgia is not you know woohoo we lucked up no what happened in Georgia was okay they took away four we're gonna double that by eight. Okay, they're going to take away 10. We're going to double that by 20. Okay, they, they're trying to purge everybody. We're going to tr- try to register everybody, right? Like, like, and and the constant back and forth is going to happen. And if Joe Biden can win, let me tell y'all something. This is very important. If Joe Biden can win Georgia, Stacey Abrams is going to, is going to blow out Brian Kemp. I called it right here. Mm. That's mm. perfect, man. So mm. we'll leave it right there. Yeah. Marcus, uh, you know, I appreciate you joining us on a day that Georgia goes blue. Uh, you know, obviously that's something that everybody's been looking forward to for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, so just for the listeners and the viewers, can you just tell them where they can hear and see you? Yeah. So you can you can see me every morning from uh, 830 ish to <laughs> eight, eight o'clock ish to 830 ish. <laughs> CPT, CPT time. Um, uh, and that's clickbaity political thirst trap time because that's the name of the podcast see? Ah, you like that you like that right uh, <laughs> smart guy me uh-huh. <laughs> you can find me at uh clickbaity political thirst trap that's see thirst trap on uh see thirst trap on uh twitter clickbaity political thirst trap on instagram twitch and also on facebook and if you want to find me it's marcus for america on uh twitter and instagram and marcus Farrell on facebook oh yeah and old man politic on, on twitch i'm a gamer okay <laughs> get it right, get great. it in where you fit in man that's right, that's right. i can't get my that's ps5 right. though i'm mad about that <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> we're all we're all out of luck man it's gonna be it's gonna be rough we need it for this winter especially come on yes that's, uh, that's right yeah. if i can leave y'all with one more thing too definitely uh, the future is bright down here um and what i mean by that is the future is bright and it's progressive uh, mm-hmm. there are a lot of young black voters in the south and I want to I want to say this and I want to repeat it. As soon as we create the same infrastructure in Mississippi and in Georgia, you're mm. going to start seeing the same exact things. Mississippi is the blackest state in the nation per capita. There's no reason for the DNC and the concern and the moderate Democrats who run the purse strings and not be spending the same kind of capital that they're about to spend in the next two months in Mississippi and actually turn that state blue forever. Yeah. So we need to think about like just more than just Georgia, man, the South in general. Yeah. And I ran the numbers and, I'm you know, the South in general can be one. And if and by by just having structure and, and people have taken a chance and a willingness on black people. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm no political expert. Uh, a good friend of mine, artist activist Genesis B is out of Mississippi. She calls Mississippi the microcosm of America. And, uh, you know, if you could flip Mississippi, there's no end to what could be flipped. Yeah. And th- well, it can be. 
Mississippi can happen. Yeah. Um, uh, Alabama can happen. Yeah. Uh, South Carolina, Jamie proved it. South Carolina can mm-hmm. happen. That wasn't a super huge deficit, right? That's that's a couple of weeks of voter registration and turnout, right? Right. Cool. So, so it can happen all across the board. We just need to trust and believe in the people of color that are trying to change this country, man. All right. That's what's up. Marcus, thank Very you nice. for your time, man, and congratulations for all the work uh, you and your uh, colleagues down in Georgia. I'll be down there in about 10... About 14 days. I got family in Canton and uh, Marietta. I'll be down there in your neck of the woods, man. So, Hey, man. Hey, man. Just hit me up, man. Turn up. What's up? No doubt. Uh, <laughs> good to have you on the show. Thank you for uh, finding the time to rock with us, man. Thank you. All right. Gentlemen, we're good? All right. Yeah, I think, uh, I think that was good. You know, we had, got some breaking news in. Marcus, and... thank you so much, man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, Georgia, I mean, we, we all figured it was, you know, about to happen. And uh, sure enough. So, yeah, I think everybody was just waiting for the recount, right? Because, you know. Uh, Still going to do the recount. It looks like the recount has started, according to yeah. uh, to our um, corporate media overlords. Uh, but you know, what's the recount going to do? Flip a couple hundred? You know? Yeah. Look, I'm glad for that. I'm glad we got a person um, like Marcus on the show because he's on the ground, right? You know, he said, you know, you heard him. What you heard what he said? He said, "Awesome, stay out of the way, let us do the work." Which and is to your point. People, like you brought you know, up a good point. Like, don't you know? Don't mess it up now. It's. It's the it's the Joe Biden in the basement strategy. Like, yeah, if, yeah, if the other yeah. side is is messing up, just because you got the two current senators trying to attack the sanctity of the election by going after the Republican Secretary of State, like let them mess this thing up. You just hold on, yeah. just just, yeah, just just do just you do the work, just do the work. <laughs> just let the, the work. let the people who have been doing the work for years now yeah. take care of business. It seems like. Well, listen, we came back on. We did the second edition of Friday This Week in Social Justice. Uh, I hope if you're tuning in and checking us out, you realize what we're about. Uh, go back and check out the full episode to find out what Newsbeat, the entire podcast situation is about. We're not just bringing you this stuff uh, online. But we hope that you found your new Friday uh, afternoon home uh, to learn about. Uh, not learn about. You might know these things. Not, yeah. you know, but a fresh take. Mm-hmm. on social justice and politics from your good friends at Newsbeat. Once again, for the Newsbeat podcast crew, thanks to Maury Creative Studios, our parent family. Uh, shouts to you, Rashad, managing editor, Christopher Tawarski, not only the editor-in-chief of himself, but the <laughs> editor-in-chief of Newsbeat. Uh, at some point, this will be on the podcast feed. Uh, so if you're listening on the podcast feed and you're like, wow, this is great. Where'd this come from? It's Fridays. It's live. It's 1 p.m. Eastern, either on our Facebook or our YouTube, you can go to usnewsbeat.com slash Facebook or usnewsbeat.com slash YouTube and be taken right to where we're at. So yep. please do that. Uh, rate Subscribe us, review us, share us with all your friends. A reminder too, you know. Yeah, if you go if you, if you go to the things, we'll have the little things up where you could set a reminder and remind yourself. But uh, really, just right now, ask Siri and be like, Siri, 1 o'clock Friday, I know where I'm going to be. This week in Social Justice with me, Manny Faces, Rashid Mian, Christopher Tawarski, the Newsbeat crew, uh, extended for overtime. Yep, it's unexpected, but I want thank you to so. Marcus Farrell and it's incredible uh, how it's incredible how it worked out too, right? Because if he if he was able to come on the show, we wouldn't. The news didn't break until right <laughs> yeah. after the show, so it's in a way this was meant to be. It's it's uh, it's incredible. Everything happens for a reason. Luckily, uh, we have close connections uh, to the good Lord who makes these things possible. (laughs) Uh, So that's it. We're out of here. Here's the countdown to the exit. We'll catch you next Friday, 1 p.m. live and direct. It's this week in social justice presented to you by the Newsbeat podcast, baby. Uh
I am Brother Cornell West. This is Chris Hedges. I'm Rosa Clemente. Hey, what's up? This is Chuck D, Public Enemy Prophets of Rage. And this is New 